1: pass the mic greetings and god bless welcome to another episode of pass the mic dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the witness a black christian collective i'm your host tyler burns you can follow me on twitter at burns 23 follow at your own risk and joining me as always is the president of the witness the man the myth the legend the best-selling author mr blue check verified himself jamar tisby what's going on brother
0: I just want to record this moment and what your voice sounds like pre baby number two. Cause I don't Man. know what's gonna happen after that.
1: Bro, don't. <laughs> See, I was chill. I was chill until you mentioned that. If, if y'all don't know, my wife's nine months pregnant. So we out here and we got, it's basically any day now situation. So I might stop this pod and be like, come on, finish it. Bruh, you're you putting go. the pressure on me, man. And see, I used to use you as my wisdom, like my fountain of wisdom, for like what to do in certain dad situations. And it's like, nope. I can't do that anymore. I have to go to Aaron. Yeah. So it's like, Aaron but got, Aaron's like a whole different level. now. So we got like twelve Aaron, kids. Aaron I'm got like, a bro. tribe.
0: Uh, no, so, right? so he could walk you through it. But yeah, when you when you go two babies, now you now you're man on man. And, I feel uh, like
1: it's exponential, though. Like, I feel like it's going to be completely exponential increase of responsibility and also chaos. Right. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, I don't even think the man-on-man works. Like, I don't think that works for us. <laughs> Especially with two under two. Like, what do you oh. what do you even do, bro? Like, I just, I don't know, man. Say goodbye to sleep. You know, I also have to admit this, and I hate to admit this, but my wife, and I can tell, like, yo, this is... I'm gonna be honest. My wife don't listen to the podcast, and I've been trying to convert her my to the podcast. My wife doesn't either. She, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about this all like the
0: time. we hear y'all fools every Look, day, all day. I don't need to like, have. They it in don't want to listen.
1: They don't <laughs> like. We ain't got time for that. We we listening to baby stuff or kids. They like, doing real or stuff or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, bruh. But anyway, so I could tell she doesn't listen to the podcast because for Father's Day they got me this little fatherhood, hang, like, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a little fatherhood picture thing. And it says, the man, the myth, the legend. And I'm like, hey. (laughs) I'm like, this is so off brand. We don't all look alike. Yeah. I was like, yo, this is so off brand for me. Like, this is something you take and you send to Jamar. But like, she was like, oh, so you don't like it? I was like, no, no, no. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's going to ruin my cred. With Ptm now, I can't legitimately. She call listened him the man to exactly
0: thirty seconds at the beginning of the podcast. like, oh, this She's is a like, the thing they, they do. I'm
1: gonna. <laughs> I know what I am going to get him. He must like that. That's hilarious, <laughs> bro. How you doing, man? How, how is Jamar Tisby doing? How is the man, the myth, the legend doing?
0: Um, you know, a lot of people forget this because I don't really talk about it that much. At least not on the mic. I am supposed to be writing a dissertation. And... See this
1: is what we were talking about before <laughs> in like the hour we were <laughs> we should have recorded. We talked about the dissertation and all the stuff that you're doing on the side and all the stuff I'm doing on the side. It is crazy to think you know when we get on the mic, we have to pause all that pause stuff it, yeah and just breathe and then come and just kind of kind of talk about these things. but really and truly we're we're in this constant conversation all the time, but you're in the midst of writing or you're supposed to be in the midst of writing that's, that's this dissertation, said, right? right?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Cause I should be further along than I am, but you know, it's a, it's a gig economy, right? Like none of us has one thing to do. And especially when it comes to the witness, that's not our main thing. We don't get paid for this. We, this is a passion project for all of us. And I, I, I thank God every day, for the team that we have that believes in the mission so much yes, that they're willing yes. to give their time, their energy, their talents to this thing. Cause I mean, the folks we got on this team are just so phenomenal and could be doing yep. and are doing, you know, amazing things, but could be doing, um, devoting more attention to it so that they would even give a little of their time. I mean, you on the mic, you behind the camera, all of that is just like, I mean, th- talent for days, but that you would hop on past the mic and be so faithful it's huge and so i'm just trying to you know
1: juggle things and yeah none of us have a dissertation like that's the difference none of us none of the rest of us have a dissertation Uh, that we gotta write bro so that's heavy man you
0: know doing that is probably a a a a bit different and more um i could tackle that challenge a bit more than a uh A baby on the way so it's all hey
1: look man it's all (laughs) yeah that's true so recently man we were talking about this idea that we wanted to basically cut the cut the mics on and record this concept and i want you to tee it up for us because you were recently in a historic black church which ties into another future event another venture that we're doing at the witness but you were recently in a historic black church and it and it caused you to think about something. And when you mention, I'm saying, I'm saying, man, we have to talk about this. We have to record on this because I think a lot of people have asked this over the past few years, especially as we've started to take a turn, kind of more towards our blackness meshing with our faith and how that expresses itself in maybe a week to week context in the body of believers. So tee that up for us, bro.
0: Yeah, man, we went to Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago, where we are going to host our first national conference for the witness. It is, the theme is Joy and Justice Continuing the 400 Year Journey. Of Joy and Justice from 1619 to th- 2019. That's October 4th and 5th. Visit joyandjustice.com. Register today. But we got to the venue, and this is my first time seeing it in person. And, bro, when I tell you this sanctuary is beautiful, it doesn't even do it justice bro, because it's more I'm than so the jealous. visual, it's more than the a- aesthetic, it's the history, it's the soul, it's the spirit there. This church is officially known as the birthplace of gospel music. There's Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago that's known as the home of gospel music. And I just learned this story when I was up there. But but Ebenezer is the birthplace because it was the first church to put together a gospel choir, like an mm. official gospel choir, all the way back Bro. in the 30s. And then... Um, the 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 man who wrote "Precious Lord, Take My Hand," which was you know sung famously by Mahalia Jackson, it was the last mm-hmm. song that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. requested before he was assassinated. In fact, that was were his last words uh, was was to play that song at the uh, event he was supposed to go to that night. Uh, the man who wrote that song, Thomas A. Dorsey, was the pianist at Ebenezer, yep. and the father um, of
1: gospel music. The Thomas father Dorsey, come yeah. on, yeah.
0: I mean, look. Just Google it, and and you'll see how important this man is to American music in general and gospel music in particular. So that all happened at Ebenezer. And it was this huge, I mean, they could probably see it at least a thousand. It's this old building. It started out as a Jewish synagogue. And um, a couple of decades later, they sold it to this booming congregation of Ebenezer, and it's been in their hands since 1921. So they're coming up on a century of being in this church. And it was just so impactful being there. And I can't wait for folks to join us. But then one of the things that stuck out to me, we were talking to one of the trustees and he's saying, you know, on a Sunday, this massive congregation, massive sanctuary, they probably have maybe 80 people, which is, you know, Hmm. serve all God's people who show up anywhere. Right. Uh, but yeah, from, absolutely. from its heyday, uh,
1: probably the average, like a uh, right around the average, yeah. like church congregation.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, but they were telling us what it was like in its heyday, and even when they were growing up, we were talking to two two people, and they had grown up in the church, and they said, if you didn't get the church by a certain time, you would definitely be sitting on the stairs because it was so packed every week that all the chairs would be taken, and the only spot you could sit was like on the floor. And so from that to to where it is now, and they're really trying to reengage with the community and everything. But I thought to myself, you know what? It, it's like, you know, in a certain sense, it's sad that you know it. it it was this really uh large congregation now it's dwindled not that numbers are anything or everything but i also wondered you know if i was in this area is this a church i as sort of a millennial black christian who loves black the black church loves black history all that but is this a church i would have gravitated toward is hmm. this somewhere i would have ended up you know and i i don't know right i mean there's yeah. would it be a multi ethnic church would it be a black church that's more modern? Would it be a predominantly white church? Who knows, right? But um, it's telling. It's telling. And I don't think it's that simple for people to just be like, oh yeah, go to a black church. Um, I think there's more to it than that.
1: It reminds me of this conversation that we keep bringing up on the podcast based around this article that Campbell Robertson wrote in the New York Times about a quiet exodus and the idea that black Christians are leaving predominantly white evangelical settings. And making that shift similar to what we did here at The Witness. And as you talk about that shift, the question is okay, we might have a quiet exodus, but where's the promised land? (laughs) Like, where are we going? That's right. What are we gonna do? And so a lot of people see the need to leave the white evangelical spaces, but then the question is, where do we go? And what's the ultimate destination? And I was thinking about, I just recently preached on Exodus three and the concept of, When God interrupts Moses at the burning bush in Midian and he tells him, gives him the orders like, hey, I've seen the oppression of my people. I've heard their cries, which is crazy in and of itself. Like God sees and hears like that's nuts in and of itself, considering everything that's going on in the world that he can see and hear the cry of his people but then he says i'm i want to take them out of egypt i'm sending you to bring them out of egypt and then it says to go to the promised land like for the promised land and then he does something really interesting like he lists like all these different groups of people that are going to be awaiting them that are currently in the promised land so it's almost like i'm not just liberating you for liberation's sake but i'm taking you to a place where you're going to have to fight to figure out where you land and I've also got to give you clear direction as to what you do with the people that exist. And so I think there are a number of people who are questioning, as Black Christians or Black people who are identifying as people of faith, where do we land? And I think different people have different views of the promised land, right? So different people have different options. And so, just some of the options I was thinking about like, one of them is just leaving the faith altogether. Right, like, and I think we both have had interactions with people who have, instead of trying to figure out, you know, this murky middle, this messy middle that they're in, leaving a white evangelical space, trying to find some place to land. Some of them have said, "Man, I'm just going to leave the faith altogether."
0: Yep, yep. I think of the ex-evangelical movement, and I, I kind, I don't, you know, somehow that movement has in my mind been coded as white like i don't see a lot of black
1: people using that hashtag on social media or whatever um but i yeah, i think i think though i will say that even though that movement has been coded as white based upon social media interaction we would be foolish to think that everyone who is who is doing this or part of that movement is just on twitter like that's that's like sure. a big thing we have to get out of our minds yes because i have seen especially in the south a growing like evangelical lean for for people of color christians of color especially like young black christians who are moving into some of the other things that we'll talk about but yeah like the evangelical movement and this idea of man let's just deconstruct it all let's just deconstruct our way out of faith period or into into something else but out of christianity
0: right so i think um I think the ex-evangelical part is white, because it's saying an evangelical kind of Christianity. I think you're right, though, in saying that black folks are also leaving the Christian faith for no sort of faith or atheism or or organized religion. But I don't know that it would be ex-evangelical, because they may not be leaving sort of white evangelical Christianity there are some. That's well, the whole it, quiet exodus thing, but they're more so leaving yeah, it like,
1: depends. Like, it just depends on how they identify, right? Like so it depends on <laughs> and, and, you know, and and but and this is our age old question. Like, do black people identify as evangelicals? This is why this is why I want to have don't. this conversation. You no, know they don't. Like this is,
0: like, here's nobody I, I in your say church you says I, says I'm an evangelical.
1: But here's what you have to understand, though, Jamar, is there is this phenomenon. I'm gonna go real deep inside baseball. Here we go. There's this phenomenon though of If something becomes bad and you may not have been directly a part of it, you leaving doesn't make sense unless you connect your experience to what was bad. So people are saying evangelical Christians in my area have harmed me. I may not fully identify as an evangelical, but in protest to evangelicals, I'm going to say I'm an ex-evangelical and I'm going to leave (laughs) evangelicalism because otherwise it doesn't give me the, and, and it was, this sounds cynical, but it's just the way we all do it. We all say, oh yeah, we were tangentially connected to evangelicalism. Oh yeah, well, we were close to evangelical, but you never identified I'm an evangelical Christian in America. <laughs> but for some people, it doesn't really matter. Like you being a Christian at all, or you attending one evangelical youth camp when you were a teenager that qualifies as leaving evangelicalism?
0: I think I get what you're saying. I thought in my interactions with young black people, it's more so like the stereotypical black church tradition. However, you conceive of that, doesn't speak to me. Ain't about nothing. So you know, I may have grown up in the church. My mom may have dragged me to church, but I don't do that anymore. There's it's just well, okay, not for so me. Okay,
1: so let's. But, and and so that's the interesting thing is I I agree. It just seems to me like. When people describe evangelicals, and when Black Christians hear that and they connect it to their Black church upbringing, there are a lot of similarities. And then people say, "Oh, well, it must have been evangelical then." Oh, well, yeah, we did the same thing. Oh, yeah, I remember we used to have, uh, you know, outreaches on the Super Bowl night and Hallelujah <laughs> parties instead of Halloween and this. And people are like, "Oh, yeah, youth camps and." And dis- Disciple nouns and all this. And it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, it was basically the same thing. And so people just adopt it as that. That's a side tangent. Yeah, You don't have to, <laughs> to stay there. <laughs> people are like, what? I'm sorry. This that's is the this is it, saying, We
0: got to, yeah. This is Where else will you because hear
1: this? I think, but then, right. This is what I'm saying. It's nuanced because we have to identify what we're saying when we say it. That's right. That's we right. We have to identify what we mean when we say we left evangelicalism. And what does that even look like? Um, which we'll get to a little bit more in a second. So that was one thing like, okay, leaving the faith, deconstructing all the way out of Christianity. But then I think the second thing that I've seen is kind of this this African spirituality. So we're kind of pushing to some yeah. some side, uh, you know, Christian-ish or God-infused or maybe Bible-adjacent um, belief system. So whether it's Black Hebrew Israelites Which there's even some murkiness there about how people qualify themselves um, within the Black Hebrew Israelite kind of sect of of thinking through the scriptures. Um, There's also like Rastafarianism. um, There's there's the Kemetic science. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Obviously, go to Jew three for all that. But it's like it's like kind of all like almost tearing towards like this African spirituality going back to. The ancestors, and that's like our emphasis. So, our emphasis now is more ancestral connection rather than organized religious, like spiritual rituals, in the same way that you know the black church would or a white evangelical church would. Now, we're going to take it to the original African spirituality and kind of maybe some of the some of the elements of that without necessarily the organization, if yeah, that
0: makes sense. Yeah. So I'll I'll nerd out for a minute and it directly pertains to what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, so don't yeah. Worry. Let's do this. Let's do this. But there uh, there's a book called New World a coming by Judith Weisenfeld. Judith Judith Weisenfeld, who's an eminent American religious history scholar. And in it, she talks about religious groups like the Nation of Islam like the Hebrew Israelites and she talks about this thing called religio racial identities and part of the reason why so many black people are attracted to or devise these religious systems is that it was centered around redignifying black people and blackness and so really yes, often yes. in direct response to um white supremacy within American Christianity or just white supremacy in general, they came up with religious categories that were centered around racial identities that elevated Blackness uh, in a way that would counteract what the rest of society was saying about Black people. And so, for, for generations now, folks have gravitated toward those. And I think we're seeing uh, it's it's never gone away, obviously, but it's it's certainly in my experience becoming much more publicly prominent. Uh, some of those groups you mentioned, partly because you know, folks are saying we're we're living in another redemption phase like after reconstruction in 19th century came redemption where white people were taking back you know political and economic power a lot of people feel like after barack obama's presidency after a lot of this sort of racial progress and with this current president what we're experiencing is another period of redemption where certain groups of white people are attempting to take back power in these different categories and when that happens it sort of highlights the 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 racist dimensions of American Christianity as practiced by some groups. And then people go like, no, this ain't, this ain't for black people. I'm not messing with it. Here's Mm -hmm. this other group, this other religion that, Actually affirms my identity, affirms my dignity, and I can construct this whole cosmology around it. Anyway, she gets into that in the book. Dude, that's and, that's so
1: helpful. That's yeah, helpful.
0: It just it just jumping off of what you said, like there's there's reasons for this, and there's reasons that these groups exist, and it's not at all detached from the racism and white supremacy that Black people have and continue to experience in America.
1: I can't. We can't talk about this and not plug Lisa Fields in g Three. For all the resources, if they have podcasts, they have materials, all kinds of things. If you're trying to work through like understanding maybe some of these side African spiritual like religious movements, they're extremely helpful in helping you parse through some of these African religious spiritual movements. And of course, she'll be at Joy and Justice as well. Yo yo um, so yo, <laughs> you can look forward to that. Shameless plug. Um, okay, so. That was like okay, the first two, which are kind of maybe outside of Christianity. But then the third one is the multi-ethnic church, which is everyone's favorite, right? <laughs> right. Like everyone's favorite the is the multi-ethnic church, and that's the solution, right? So Jamar, I know you're a huge fan of the multi-ethnic church. Look. Um, so- <laughs> <laughs> it, it, let's let's talk through our history with the multi-ethnic church. So you go first, then I'll then I'll hop in.
0: So r- r- the Racial dimensions of religion have always been on my radar because so much of my life has been in predominantly white Christian spaces, particularly evangelical ones. And so even in those settings that are predominantly white, the multi-ethnic church, particularly from the mid-90s on up to, I'd say, the early 2010s, the multi-ethnic church was sort of put forth as this magic bullet to solve all the racial problems, not only in the church, but beyond. Like if change is going to happen, Christians need to lead the way. And the way to do it is through multi-ethnic churches. You get people together, worshiping together, praying together, doing life together, as they like to say, um, and you will begin to see churches change and the broader society change. And I'm not saying that's completely wrong, right? I just think that people underestimate how hard it is to do not only a racially and ethnically diverse church, but a racially and ethnically equitable church. So it's not just getting people at the table, it's giving them a voice when they're at the table. Um, It's not just making space in the space, it's actually sharing power. And that's really hard. And there's a great scholar at the Ohio State University. She's a sociologist named Corey Edwards, K-O-R-I-E. And she's written amazing work about how the default, even in multi ethnic churches, is toward the dominant culture, which is white. Right. Especially if you're a multi ethnic church within with within a predominantly white uh, denomination or a predominantly white, you know, church planting fellowship or network or whatever. So that even. It within your congregation, you guys might be working really, really hard to make it truly diverse and equitable. But there's a there's a there's even external forces put on you by the larger fellowship that 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 pull you back. And that's in the best case scenario. In most multi ethnic churches, and certainly in my personal experience, you generally move as fast as the most resistant white person.
1: Hmm. hmm. That's so, fascinating.
0: Yeah. So I mean, if you want to make aesthetic changes to to music or or preaching style or whatever, you can move as fast as the most resistant or perhaps maybe the most vocal white person. If you want to make more substantive changes like where and how you do ministry, who's in leadership, how you're allocating money, you can generally only go as far as the most resistant or the most vociferous white person uh, in the room. And I just, I've seen that time and time again in my personal experience. I've heard a million stories from people of color who have been in these settings. And I would just, you know, caution people to remember that any congregation is full of sinners. And especially when you're trying to do something as complicated and delicate as have a truly diverse and equitable church, it's not as easy as you think. And then lastly, even if you're able to pull it off well in the congregation, Number one, what does that mean through Monday, Monday through Saturday? Because a couple hours on Sunday does not an anti-racist make you. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And then
0: yeah. uh, beyond that, you know, structurally, as far as we're looking, even just within the church, does one multi-ethnic churches or several? How much is that impacting the broader fellowship of Christians? So, you know, just my two cents on yeah. multi-ethnic churches.
1: So you guys talked about this recently on a PTM episode with Aaron James, and I didn't really get a chance to to chime in in that particular segment, but I've talked about it a little bit on PTM before, but my father planted a church in 92 in the Florida Panhandle, and the idea of it, one of its core tenets or one of the desires that he had on his heart was for it to be, at the time they used the word multicultural, to be a multicultural church, um, which now the the buzz phrase is multi-ethnic. And so for him as a black man to try to create a multi-ethnic church was an ambitious idea, especially in the Florida Panhandle area, which is extremely fraught, has extremely fraught racial history um, and a tragic racial history as well when it relates to lynching and, and Jim Crow and, and black terror, all those things. And so, um, he was able to do it for a short period of time, for probably about eight to 10 years. The church was about 60, 40 as far as percentages, so about 60% Black, 40% White. Um, and so it was it was extremely diverse in leadership structure and pastoral staff, all the above, but it didn't last that way. And so it's this weird little, it's this weird church history of we had a very Black church up until a certain point. And then it was extremely multi-ethnic. And it was what would be considered a multi-ethnic megachurch um, based upon the, you know, the Pentecostal movement and the fact that the Pentecostal movement is has, is historically very diverse. Um, and then it transitioned to now what is now, which is a, a very predominantly like black church. And so it's been really interesting trying to parse through that that season, that period of when we were kind of a multi-ethnic church and how healthy that was, how unhealthy that was. And some of the things that my father admits now, you know, as far as his politics, as far as some of the mm, things that he said, mm. um, even some of the things that were unhelpful as far as cliches and kind of the broad brushing and generalization of certain things that made it more amenable for for white congregants to come and feel like, yep. oh, well, this is a black man talking sense or whatever, you know, some of those things that they say. Um, He's just reasonable. He just makes sense. He's wise. You know. He's not buying into the, the political hype. You know, Some of the things that they've said, which now we can recognize as you know, whether it's the vestiges of, of white supremacy or whiteness or fragility or whatever uh, you may call it. But the idea of a multi-ethnic church is interesting because a, a lot of the people who say they're planting multi-ethnic churches, when people talk about them as solutions... It's always in 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 highly diverse cities, hmm. so it's almost like if you draw the city, you're going to draw diversity. Not to say that it's a formula, but it's just fascinating. Whenever people are talking about multi ethnic churches and going hard on it, it's in like super diverse areas. So it's like, well, of course you're going to have a multi ethnic church, um, but how you live in a way that all people are valued and honored and affirmed, and equity is at the center so that it's not just a multi-ethnic church that benefits one power structure. It's much harder. And so I think for some Black Christians, they leave the white evangelical space and they try to plug into a multi-ethnic space. And they realize that some of the things that they are concerned with and that burden them about the white evangelical church, the multi-ethnic church may acknowledge, but may not actually act on in yep. any different way than the white evangelical church. And I'm obviously I'm speaking in generalizations and painting broad brushes here just because We don't want to call nobody out. <laughs> yeah, we're not calling any specific churches out. So if you're like, my multi-ethnic church doesn't do that, praise God. That's incredible. We believe there are really good multi-ethnic churches out there. We're just saying it's difficult to, and it's also, there's like an element, oh man, there's like an element of hubris in it too, right? Like don't, don't assume that this collection—it is—it is extremely. Sometimes I think it's really presumptuous for us to assume that we have the answer, hmm. that we are going to solve what generations of Black Christians before us fought and died for and bled for. Like we're going to solve it. We just put put us all together and worship. See. And it's like, you don't think anybody thought of that before? Like, you think that's it? Like, you think that's the only thing that needs to change?
0: Right, right, right. And while it's extremely important,
1: again, it's like, don't disrespect the people who have come before. Okay, anyway, there's so much. So much we can say, yes. But, okay, so the fourth option option. we talked about. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an option. And for a lot of people, it's a healthy option. And that's great. For other people, they don't connect with it. And maybe it seems a little bit, you know, problematic. But the fourth option is why don't we all just go to black churches, Jamar?
0: This is the one. This is the what one. are we
1: talking like let's let's get down to it. Let's get down this to it cuz that's what we've been leading to. Yeah. Why don't we all just go to black churches? And it's a question because of my current experience within a black church. I've never like been a member, well, except for college, which is funny. <laughs> we can get into that. <laughs> I've never what been co- a what member. what college did you go to? <laughs> <laughs> The college that shall not be named in in Blankburg, Blankburg, uh, Virginia. Anyway. <laughs> and people are like, what? Like, what is happening here? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh it's the college you're thinking of. And so other than that, I, like I never attended a church that wasn't predominantly black, right? And wasn't the power structure of the leaders weren't black, like overwhelmingly. And so as you think about that. I, you know, I'm like, man, why don't we all just go to black churches? Like, it's simple. We just leave, get up, and and go to black right. churches. And then I realize there's a lot of challenges, and there's a lot of issues, and there are a lot of problems in every church, and even in these black churches that we romanticize and make seem like they're perfect.
0: Yep. 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 So. I've got a lot of thoughts about this because this is something I'm going through right now.
1: Yeah, talk about this from your perspective. I love to hear this from your perspective.
0: So, full disclosure, it's hard to talk about because, in a sense, it feels like if you're not like just, you know, okay, I left the evangelical church. Now I'm going to a black church. If that's not your story or your journey, it's almost like somebody's going to pull your black card. Like, why aren't you going to the black church? You know what? What's wrong with you, or what do you think is wrong with the black church, et cetera, et cetera? So, it's hard for me to even. Talk about this, but my own personal hmm. biography is I didn't grow up in church at all. We weren't hostile to religion or Christianity. We just we didn't go to church. And I didn't become a Christian till high school. So I don't have like those memories of being six, seven, eight years old, goofing off in the pews because the service was taking so long or whatever, whatever. I had to learn all. Of the black church traditions, sort of as a as a second language, right? It wasn't wasn't my native religious tongue, so to speak. I'm much more familiar with white evangelicalism because those were the groups and the communities and the contexts that uh, took me in when I was uh, right. first becoming a Christian. And so, there's all that. My most extensive experience with a black church was four years at a little country missionary baptist church and when i mean little i mean little on on a good sunday we had 20 people uh they were all 65 and older except me and this one other uh a friend of mine we talked together and we both went to this church we were both in our 20s mm-hmm. and they had no instruments every song was acapella which was beautiful in its own way wow, um the the but preacher. You
1: didn't even get a Hammond B3 organ, no,
0: no, 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 no. We didn't have no sound system. Church. We I had no black m- church. Dinged up metal folding chairs in this old abandoned warehouse. It was nothing to look at.
1: Did y'all and have tambourines? Nothing. Uh, uh-uh, uh, nah,
0: man. Nothing.
1: We did have white gloves I'm missing, I'm missing and urshers. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have one
0: woman. Yeah, one, one, one white. Uh, one woman in uh the white outfit and the white gloves as, as the, as the usher. Uh, wow. We had a men's choir, all three of them. Dude, that's
1: so beautiful.
0: Though. But that's it so really beautiful was. Though. It really was. But at the same time, it's not like a, it was a church that was attracting young people or doing much in the community. I mean, we met on Sunday. That was about it. It was very sort of fundamentalist style preaching. It was biblical, but you know, you didn't hear a lot of grace uh, in, in, it was very sort of lopsided in terms of the preaching style. And so as I look at churches, like one of the things I recently realized is if you look at those Pew religion research studies, when they categorize religious groups like white Protestant, white evangelical, white mainline, or just mainline, black Protestant, et cetera, the group I probably most fit in with right now today is the nuns. People who don't claim any particular religious tradition. A lot of people conflate nuns with atheists or agnostics. That's not all N O N E, nun. That's not all the nuns. Um, A lot of nuns are just people who don't find a a home right now in a specific religious tradition. And even though I have experience with Southern Baptists, Presbyterians, uh, Missionary Baptists, you name it, I can't claim any one of those traditions. And so for me, it's not just a simple binary okay you leave this setting and you go back to the black church because i don't have all those personal connections or historical connections or traditional connections to predominantly black churches i would love to right but that's going to be a that's going to be a journey for me
1: yeah and part of it is how you define what is a black church right so when we talk about black church or the black church it's really a misnomer because we think of that as a monolith. We think of that as some universal black experience, religious experience, when I think there is a shared communal experience to an extent. But the reality is that looks like a ton of different things. So there's the AME church. Uh, there's, you know, like a national Baptist church would be like very much so similar to like a Southern Baptist church. There's missionary Baptists. There's progressive Baptists. There's primitive Baptists there's and then and then this is this is the interesting thing is a lot of people talk about those but then there's like this whole separate like black church experience which is the most popularized and that's like really the pseudo non-denominational yeah. Pentecostal charismatic experience which is what I grew up in and so that's a totally different experience than the liturgy of a missionary Baptist church or some other type of of more denominational Um, Black church. And so when people think about the black church experience or whatever the black church is, it's almost like, what are you telling people to go back to? Because it could be anything. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, when we talk about the black church, we're talking about, man, everyone from Ralph West at, you know, The Church Without Walls to TD Jakes at the Potter's House. Like, it's different poles. Like, so it's different extremes. And so when people think of the black church, and this is why I think it's it's also really unhelpful to to generalize and character to and it's it's also unhelpful to generalize and attack the black church in this idea of, oh, the black church is slipping or it's shifted. But it's like, what are you talking about? Who are you thinking about? Like are you thinking about the people you see on t- on television? Or are you thinking about the churches that are a couple of miles away from you, right around the corner from your house? Like what are you talking about? How are you coming to your facts and your And your statistics when you mention this. And so the idea is, what are we even telling people to go back to? And I think it's difficult for some people because if we're honest, and a lot of people have been honest with us about this, they feel pain from their Black church experience. Mm. Their Black church experience hasn't been one that's been this romanticized picture of a perfectly just and equitable (laughs) body of believers that also has bomb music and dope preaching. That's not their experience. Their experience is one of pain, of church hurt, of disillusionment, maybe of of sexism, like all kinds of different things that have happened within the Black church. So we can't just tell people, oh, let's just go back to the Black church because we all mean different things and we all have different experiences with that institution.
0: We're getting really real now because-
1: Oh yeah, well, we have to because <laughs> too many- and, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm like one of the fiercest advocates- for, I talk about Black preaching, I yes. talk about the history of the Black church, I, I talk about it all the time, and I'm a fierce advocate of it. But the reality is, it's just like any other church. It's full of people who are broken, who are fallible, who have been through things, and it has its own warts and flaws. And so we can't romanticize... Even, I mean, even this idea of romanticizing the Black church is like, oh, it's this justice institution. No, it's not. Like... <laughs> It, it, they we are more predisposed to talk about justice in black churches. Yes, that is true because that's a daily reality. If we're speaking about daily realities, that's true. But the idea that we're some activist organization, like so, we're all these black churches are just in mass like doing activism. Right. Not, this is not true. <laughs> like we're not all marching and boycotting and protesting exactly and right. connected to our local communities. It's just a misnomer. That's
0: exactly I mean, we I've talked about this before, but. Um, you mentioned the Progressive National Baptist Church, was a denomination formed in the 1960s uh, with a group of pastors and their churches and, and congregants who broke off from the National Baptist Church because, uh, particularly the president of the NBC at the time, Reverend Jackson, was not all about this marching in the streets and the civil disobedience and, and all these tactics. He He wanted to pursue a different, much more conservative, less activistic course. And so Martin Luther King and others broke away and formed the Progressive National Baptist Church because they wanted to be on the front lines of civil rights activism in terms of the nonviolent resistance and the civil disobedience and XYZ. And it's always been a minority even of Black churches that were out in the streets marching or even hosting these meetings for for civil rights organizers because that would put a target on you in for from the local white community if you were seen as aiding and abetting some of these quote unquote agitators right so it was never universal that black churches would be in the front lines of a movement so that's one point another point is going back to the multi ethnic churches thing a lot of black folks who i've encountered who gravitate toward multi-ethnic churches if they've come out come out of a black church setting they they often has have stories of hurt and trauma and disillusionment right and so they're right. looking for something different that they were familiar with the black church they were in it for a long time their particular black church you know whatever that was like but then something happened and if we can get really real a lot of folks appreciate the aesthetic Of the black church, of black churches.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. But
0: they don't, they're looking for something different in terms of content, which is why a lot of black people gravitate Hmm. toward reform theology or back in the day before he really let all his cards show. Folks like John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul because of this sort of very uh, kind of cerebral understanding of the faith this extremely systematic theological approach to understanding Christianity a lot of black folks liked that and contrasted it with their own black experience in the church their own experience in the black church um which may have been different and i'm not i'm trying very hard to talk about no, this carefully because Bro, you know what i'm not trying to do is put one above the other right but there right. is a group of of Black Christians probably bigger than you think. That
1: they don't like hooping in preaching. You know. Okay. Let's let's talk about some of this stuff. Let's okay. talk about very very practical real challenges to attending black churches in 2019. Let's talk. Let's Ooh, make it plain. Okay. Okay. I, I'll lead off, and then you can you can continue yours. But I'll lead off and say one of the main issues. That I've seen in interacting with black churches and being a part of a black church for my entire life, predominantly black church, regardless of denomination, is misogynoir. That's a massive one. And I think people don't realize how much black women make up the backbone of black churches, yet at the same time are treated the worst in black churches. Come on, somebody. And then we're talking about gifts. We're talking about um, how they are honored and affirmed. We're talking about how they're preyed upon. We're talking about how they're abused, how they're harassed. Uh, We're talking about doing all the work, getting none of the credit. (laughs) We're talking about never being seen on stage or platform, um, but at the same time being the ones who who are targeted for giving and financial donations and all this. It's just a mess. And so I think a lot of women are facing deep misogynoir from the Black men who have led Black churches, and that's why they're not going back to Black churches, and that's why they're not congregating in these spaces. And we look at them funny, but the reality is we need to look at ourselves. (laughs) We need to look at what we've done to them, and we need to look at the reality as Black men, especially Black men in ministry, that we've aided and abetted a lot of our buddies in that. So you got the black pastor down the street who's doing that. And we aid in a bet. We like, oh, okay, we're gonna share the stage with him because he's pastor so-and-so. When in reality, you know what he was doing. So get real about that. And I I think that's it's true, it's true in every church, and there are issues, there are very prominent issues of abuse and mistreatment of women in all different types of church traditions. So I'm not laying that at the feet of black men. I'm just saying there are some very prominent cases where we are clearly seeing the mistreatment, misuse, abuse of women, and we just say, well, you know, he's super gifted, though. Like, he's anointed. And I'm like, bro. Spilling all the tea. I'm just saying, but how are are we going to be like, okay, yeah, come back to the black church? And they're like, you're not even going to stand up for us behind closed doors. Like, how are we going to-
0: Look, we need to have-
1: Do we even have an argument for that? And then we talk about, we're not even talking about- the men who are, who are part of the church that we just let them do whatever. And then we encourage our oh, sis, you know, he just struggling, he just going through and all this. We're not even protecting regular members. We talk about even talking about from, from the pastor and the bishop. We talk about regular members from other members who they married to. You better g- just go ahead. Just Look, go ahead. Wow. Keep going.
0: Yeah, I mean, we need to have a whole podcast on disfellowshipping what that means, when to do it, why it's still legit, why we probably need to practice it more. But that's
1: what you're saying. I mean, I hear what you're saying for sure. But that's the number one reason. When I talk to, to black women, that's the number one. It's like they like, what you mean go to a black church? Black church I came from was misogynistic. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm, I, you can't be like, ah, man, well, you know, it just. No, we need to address. It's systemic. There's a systemic problem. And if, unless the black church gets real about that, now we can talk about abuse, misuse, but but then this is it's two-pronged because it's abuse, misuse. And as I said before, it's also in the expression of gifts and how black women are allowed to exercise agency and authority within the church. That's another thing. Now, I know people land in different spaces on that, but that's another thing as well. So it's not just all in the negative as though they're helpless and don't have agency. It's also in the positive as well, which is in the way in which they're they're given the opportunity to exercise all the gifts that God has given to them. And the black church has a problem with that too. It's not just the SBC, it's the black church too.
0: Whew. That's a word. Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a very popular segment. <laughs> okay? it's, going to be, it's going to be a popular quote, I'm sure. Listen. But I'm just being honest. I'm being real. And it starts starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with everyone who's a black man in ministry. Uh, but, you know, it, we can't we can't shy away from it if we talk about these challenges.
0: The other thing which I was alluding to before is is different strokes for different folks. Stylistically, some black churches and certainly like stereotypically what we think of as black church style is not everyone's right. Like there are plenty of black people who love a very. High traditional liturgy where every week is basically the same. You may not even have a sermon, you might have a homily, right? In in some traditions. And that's what resonates with certain people. Others have a, a, a much more intellectual style of faith. It's never all intellectual or all, you know, heart or whatever. It's always a combination. But some, you know, for some people it resonates, it contacts with you differently. It hits different. Um in certain styles and settings than others. And it's not better or worse, right? It's just there's a spectrum of ways you can do church. And for a lot of Black people, it's not, you know, whatever you might stereotypically think of as a Black church preaching style or even music style or whatever. Maybe maybe you like hymns uh, done on, you know, (laughs) without riffs. And it's just, Whatever's on the page, that's what gets read. That's what gets sung. Whatever it might be, and so even stylistically, uh, there are yeah. it's it's there's varying degrees, right? We're not all monolithic in the way we think of Christianity or the way we actually do church, and that might be hmm. a reason folks don't go to and and they probably don't know enough about the diversity of Black churches that you're talking about, Tyler, but you know if that's your conception of what black church is then it wouldn't appeal to you any more than some other type of church w- with which you're not familiar so
1: yeah and and i think there's also this misnomer we talked about it with joy and justice is there's this misnomer that that we are supposed to be primarily or solely intellectual cognitive beings when we enter into a church environment and that that's somehow placed above the emotive um the emotive nature of humanity and so instead of valuing the emotive as being deeply practical and deeply useful for our growth we've been taught to value the cognitive and the intellectual as being superior to the emotive and we've been taught to kind of run from the emotive because we don't want to there's this idea that the emotive is is what we can clearly see, like our emotions, like how we express ourselves, crying, dancing, laughing, shouting, clapping, all these things that we do with our bodies. And we've been taught that there's something wrong with our bodies and how we express them. And that we've also been taught that God doesn't want that. We need to be refined and dignified. And so that's kind of the charismatic in me coming out a little bit. But I think there's also the reality that as Black people, we've been taught that our bodies are something wrong with them. And so when we use them with with any sort of physicality, like people, unless it's for entertainment or unless it's for sport, like people look at us funny um, and they think there's something wrong with that. So I think there's part of that, but then you are right in the sense that there is, and this kind of ties in with my next one, which is this idea of confusion. There's a lack of explanation in the Black church for the deep, rich tradition and history of what's happening when we see those things. like Why is the intonation or the hoop such a valued part of Black preaching? Well, it has history, but no one ever talks about the history. They're like, oh, you just like to hear yourself sing.
0: Mm.
1: Well, the history is deeper than that. But, and yeah, some people do, like it's a vanity exercise for a lot of pastors, but then it's also deeply connected to the tradition of saints that have gone before all the way back to slave plantations. Like, so it's connected to something that's deep, but we never explain what that They're gonna
0: is. They're going to have to listen to your upcoming podcast to get all that history. Don't,
1: don't, 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 don't <laughs> share that yet. Don't share that yet. It's got to be out there. Anyway, Put it out there. Don't share that yet. Don't share that yet. Put it in existence. We... We gonna... <laughs> Nah, we don't believe in that, but nah, we, <laughs> we keeping that silent for now, but you'll, you'll see the post soon. But anyway, so it's that whole mentality of if you don't explain something, then people don't know what's up. And so I think a lot of people have left confused because a black church is deeply traditional, but I think that tradition can become almost elevated to idolatry. So what we can do is we say, oh, this is what we do. We do devotions. And then the devotion in the in the black Baptist churches, these five old deacons, and they get up and they sing it off key and they read and you're like, what? what is happening? I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what's happening? Like I didn't grow up in this church. And then someone had to break it down and explain it to me. But that's only after I basically hounded people to explain that. Like, oh, it's just devotion. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I, I didn't grow up in that. So when you see that, it's almost off-putting. Like, why would I come here and sit? And listen to this, and y'all are not going to tell me. That's what's what happening. I'm
0: saying. It's like this. There, it's this insider language that if you didn't grow up, and sometimes it's particular to the to that church, right? Like a lot of churches are family affairs, and it is. It's just it's it's, it's small, it's um, or it could be big, but it's it's a few families that sort of really run the church, and there are idiosyncrasies to each congregation, but there's also this sort of. Uh, jargon that goes along with uh, many Black church traditions. That if you didn't grow up in it or if you weren't steeped in it, it's and no nobody stops really to explain it to you. You're just supposed to know. No. If I call <laughs> this, you respond that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you may not know
1: that. I mean, maybe you became a Christian last week, right? Um, so I mean, there that again. Yeah, it's a lot of assumptions. Like we assume that people have a background in our church tradition. Exactly, you black, and you I think that's know. alienating too. <laughs> It's alienating, especially for for families that are biracial. Wow. So like that's like another dynamic. It's like it becomes alienating for biracial families to enter into that space and one spouse or the kids may not understand anything that's happening. And people look at them funny because they don't have that same background in the tradition that another spouse, their spouse may have, or other people within the church. And so it can be alienating for them and make them feel like, well, what am I supposed to actually do in this environment? Right. Because I feel like I'm just so far of an outsider.
0: And that's actually. That
1: it would take me years of, of acculturation exactly. to like actually properly appreciate what's happening. And that's not necessarily the case, but it's how we make them feel. Right.
0: And I, and that's where I think multi-ethnic churches do have a place. Um, I mean, they have a place in general, but especially for that biracial family, that diverse family that that, that doesn't really feel at home. In either setting, in terms of race or ethnicity. But, yeah. you know, it, it, it's that familiarity with or without the tris- tradition of the Black church. And I think it's becoming more and more difficult because there were certainly eras in the past where you could pretty confidently assume a certain universal familiarity among Black people with the Black right. church, right? Even if they didn't go to church, they went to church at some point or they had enough people in their family. And I think that's still true today to an extent, but not as much as in the past. And this is one of the byproducts perhaps of integration and all these things is that the Black community is more diffuse. We're not all concentrated in the same physical location, let alone the same congregations. And so there are generations now growing up that didn't grow up in the Black church or don't have as close a tie to it. But many churches might still be operating under the assumption that, well, you black, you must know black church. And that's just not true. Yeah, It's just not true anymore. Yeah.
1: And, and I think that leads to kind of my final challenge, which is one of the challenges of, of interacting with and attending black churches in 2019 is frankly like they're old.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes.
1: There's, it's just very old. Like it's typically very baby boomer and Gen X heavy. And then the introduction of anything that's different typically is very hard and difficult to get through because this is another piece where lack of explanation comes in and confusion. People don't know like the power structure of black churches. Like so for some like Baptist churches it's the deacon board. The deacon board basically runs the church. And for others it's a board of trustees, for others it's elders, for others it's pastoral led where they have a staff. For others, it's ministers. You're like, I don't know what is what. And so for a lot of us, it's difficult for us to explain all the differences within the Black church and how getting something done can be difficult. But what it also does is it, it creates a reinforcement of a generational gap and a generational power structure that makes it difficult for young people to really find their place and flourish. And so for those of us who are younger what we're trying to figure out is how do I get in and get involved mm-hmm. and how do I not just, okay, if I like Sunday morning or if I enjoy that that particular uh, association with this church, how do I figure out like, what's my track? Like, how am I going to get where you're at? Or do you not want me to get where you're at? And that's just universal with churches. There's There's power and politics and all kinds of things that happen behind the scenes, but you're trying to figure out like, what do I do with these people? And a lot of them, you know, there's this book that was um really popular years ago in the ministry world. It's called, it had a very interesting title. It's called Well-Intentioned Dragons. Hmm. And they renamed the book Dealing with Problem People in Your Church, but I still like the original title, Well-Intentioned Dragons, because that's just what most people in your church are. Like most people in your church, most people. Who are leaders, most people who are department heads, most people who are greeters and ushers, they're just well-intentioned dragons. They're people who have good motives and good intentions, but they breathe fire. Wow. <laughs> and sometimes they're destructive. And you know how do you navigate that? And so that's a difficulty that I think a lot of young people and a lot of people are leaving white evangelical spaces where everything's like so systematized everything's like it's a four-step process to become a leader boom 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 just attend these four classes and do this and spin around three (laughs) times and voila you're on my dream team and you're like wait what (laughs) you're like seriously this is so easy for me to get involved and it's like a sense of ownership and you go to the black church and it's like yo how do y'all even ordain Mm. like what's the thing here like how do you even get in and like, do y'all have Sunday school? If you don't have Sunday school, what do you do for discipleship? Like, it's all those questions that, frankly, we're working through ourselves in our church, right? So,
0: Absolutely. And to the to the sort of age thing, yeah. So, so young people walking into a church where the average age is 55 or 65, even if you're the most open person in the world, it's like, okay, what is my place here simply as a member, right? Beyond just getting involved and becoming a leader, et cetera, et cetera. And also I think there's a generational divide as well. As I interact with like college students, man, they ain't trying to hear you at all if you are not involved in justice and activism. Uh if if you come <laughs> right, up right. you know just sure. with the little gospel tract and say Jesus loves you, if you die today, where are you going? All that stuff, you know. And a lot of people can even give the right answers because they might still have sort of a cultural familiarity with church or the black church, but they're not really interested in getting involved if they don't see you as participating on the block or in the things Mm -hmm. that, because now we're dealing with the generations, authenticity, authenticity. and now we've got a couple generations post-Brown v. Board, post-Civil Rights Act, where we have grown up In a quote unquote legally integrated society. It's not Jim Crow, right? But we've also seen the dark underbelly of integration, which is that it's not always cracked up to be. That going to, you know, being the first to integrate this all white space, whether that's a church or a school or something, it's not all fun and games. There's traumatic experiences that go along with that. There's a traumatic history and present reality with law enforcement today. And that's before you even get to the mass incarceration part. That's that's folks, you, th- these are the cops you're encountering on the street. There's all kinds of inequity. There's massive student loan debt. And if your church in general and black churches in particular as comprised of people who are typically most adversely affected by these social ills, if you're not speaking to that, they got nothing to say to say back to you. And and like we were saying at the beginning, not every church is an activist church. Not every church is on the front lines of civil rights. And so I think that's
1: Or is doing things publicly that you would know that would be like the church is bad PR. So a lot of these things happen behind the scenes, which we'll talk about another in another episode. But a lot of these things that we desire to see happen behind the scenes, but the church is bad at explaining PR all those types of things. So the church just doesn't even say, okay, we paid someone's light bill, right? But it right. It's done and you never know. Like they're not saying, they're not applauding themselves saying, look at all these light bills we paid and look at this person that we got legal services for and we advocated for. A lot of times we don't say that and it goes unnoticed or unknown. And then people assume, well, where's the black church? Like where's the church? And in- I
0: think, I mean, even that, I think people, young people are looking for, okay, that's cool. So if I'm in your church, You might know about these issues. You might do something about it. But we're like, what about the broader systemic issues? How are you getting involved in what Mm -hmm. affects everybody and not just the people who walk through your church doors? So, you know, these are just some of the things that make it not a simple choice to leave white evangelical spaces and just automatically enter into black churches.
1: So I think that's good for us. Like, I think we need to stop talking. I want to hear some people give their stories. Hmm. What's difficult for you? Like, I really want to hear this because I think it's, it's helpful to kind of get some of this church hurt out if you feel comfortable doing that. And that's the only way that we heal. Next episode, though, I do want to talk about like the benefits of a healthy Black church. Like, what are some of the things that we've learned from observing Black churches, but then also being a part of Black churches that have been helpful for us, spurred on our growth, it has also made us better men, better followers of Jesus. I do want to talk about the flip side of that. I think it's it's good for balance to talk about just the realities that we're facing and some of the problems that keep people away from Black churches. So we want to start there, but we don't want to just stay there. We also want to talk about the fact that there are a lot of Black churches that are out here doing it and doing really well. And so we may shout out some of these pastors and churches because they're doing a great job in modeling for us what it looks like to have healthy Black fellowship in the Christian context. So yeah, I want to hear your story. So tweet at us, send us a DM, whatever, however you want to get in touch with us. You guys know all the Twitter handles and all that. um, At underscore Pastor Mike, at The Witness BCC, at Burns 23, at Jamar Tisby. Just tweet at us, get at us, and, and we want to hear from you. What are some of these challenges of attending a Black church in 2019?